0: And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael.
1: Pre-Socratic philosophers. Okay, so philosophy literally translates, uh, translates to the uh, love of wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. and,
0: uh, Which we all should have within us.
1: So here you got two maps. Um, before we get into each individual... Philosopher. I just wanted to point out a couple uh, regions that were important. Uh, Ionia is like kind of where it all began, which is the Western coast of modern day Anatolia and uh, Turkey. As you can see there in the picture on the right. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, arrow is actually pointing at uh, Miletus, which is where um, Thales and, and, you know, the Milesian school kind of all began. We'll get into that in a second. Um, and, uh, so the the way that they got over, obviously everybody was kind of floating around back then and there was lots of wars and conquering and different things, but the, um, the Greeks founded, the Greek colonists, um, came to that area, um, during the Dorian invasion in the 11th century. Um, and Miletus, like I mentioned, was the most important city, uh, on the left, uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but you've got, uh, uh, Elia and Croton Elia um, and that's Italy by the way on the left that's where you know we're going to get to some of these people as well um, Elia is where the uh, Eliatic school was and Croton is where you've got uh, Pythagoras set up camp with his little like um, mathematic kind of occult thing that they had going on there um, and that's that back then that was called Magna Grisha and um, yeah, so most people don't even realize so, that a lot of these philosophers came from, you know, different parts, you know, Turkey, Italy, you know, it's not just Greece and Athens and stuff. So
0: Right, so that that right map is like the the what is, would that be? The western tip of Africa?
1: No, no, no. The 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 map on the right is the the um the west coast of Turkey. Oh, okay so you can't see it, but if I zoomed out, you know, turkeys kind of like goes lengthwise across and that's, that would be the Western tip of it.
0: Oh, all right. All right. Never mind.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, but let's go to the next one. Let's go to our first guy here. Uh, Thales of Miletus. He was probably, or most likely the first philosopher, um, and or Western philosopher, um, mm-hmm. He, his era was between uh, 623 and 545 bc um he was considered one of the seven sages of greece um you know we're not going to get all to the get to all the sages because not all of them are philosophers you know but um right, right some politicians and statesmen and that kind of stuff but um he was the first uh philosopher known to engage in scientific philosophy um kind of Um, a curious mind that wanted to know kind of how things worked and, and he was the first guy to step away from like the mythology aspect of it. So back then, um, they would, uh, explain things, you know, natural things by saying, Oh, you know, if the, if it was really, you know, the, the ocean was really choppy or something, you know, Oh, Poseidon's mad or something like that. You know, they would use, um, mythology to explain natural uh phenomena where he this was the first guy to say well you know there might be a more natural explanation for it so um interesting yeah so and um like i said he was the first guy to use theories and hypothesis uh hypothesis to explain uh how natu-
0: ridiculed was he for this um, that I don't
1: know that much about actually. I don't, you know, everything I've read and studied and researched, it's not something that they ever talk about. I'm sure there was pushback. Oh
0: yeah. The first pe- person to think anything right or wrong. But is always the other thing is you got to think about it. If,
1: if somebody has got an awesome idea, I'm sure there was people like, wow, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe not true, true. initially, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it got to that point where, um, that was the, uh, the, the point of the day but uh so yeah aristotle noted him as the founder of the ionian school like i pointed out uh meletus which on the map you know on the uh western coast of turkey um he okay so a lot of these uh, pre-socratics had different their own version of monism which we've talked about before which is the explanation that one thing is the source of all things so his one mm-hmm. thing that was a source of all things was, was water. He believed that water was the source of all things, meaning that everything that's made up has something to do with water, you know? And, Good theory. And, yeah. And, uh, even that, uh, like land for instance is not really, you know, it's all floating on water, you know, and we are all mm-hmm. comprised of water, like all that all that kind of stuff. So yeah, like I said, they each had their own version of monism. Um, and, uh, he was considered the first material monist. Um, so he used, uh, geometry to calculate the height of the great pyramids. So this is kind of, uh, um, an interesting, um, an interesting point too, is that a lot of these pre-Socratic and even other, you know, philosophers would go to Egypt to learn. So, um, you know, we'll get to some of the other ones, but, uh, you know a lot of these guys went to Egypt to study you know mathematics and uh, different things and uh, obviously the Egyptians had a good grasp on geometry having built you know a lot of the megalithic structures and temples and stuff there yeah uh, I'd say so they're master masons obviously um, but uh, yeah he calculated the height of the Great Pyramid using geometry um, he also I think he also came up with a way to distinguish distance by uh correlating like how far ships were from you know land and like the coast and Mm. stuff like that too Mm -hmm. um so according to herodotus who was you know we've we've mentioned him on other videos that we've done atlantis man yeah well no he was a um like a biographer or like a historian he would collect knowledge and and put it out there in different writings and stuff like that but he wrote that uh, Thales predicted a solar eclipse in uh, 585 BC, which is actually pretty remarkable. Um, I think back then it was known that there would be eclipses in certain areas like every 19 years or I, f- I forget the exact uh, the exact date on those but um, Yeah, it was just, it's pretty cool. But even back then, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, you have to have some sort of knowledge or some sort of, um, wisdom to do stuff like that because it wasn't really that common back then. I mean, I'm sure the Egyptians and a lot of these other cultures had some, some people and, um. You know, astronomers and stuff like that, but...
0: Uh, well, I mean, you remember I was telling, talking about that Frederick Douglass saw an eclipse, which almost started the, the revolution for African-Americans I don't think America. it was Frederick
1: Douglass. I think it was Nat Turner is who...
0: Is that a, is that a man? Yeah, that's the guy that you initially told oh, me. Oh, yeah, to... maybe it was. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, Turner. No. Yep, yep. My bad. Anyways, I was going to say, like, even, even in the 1800s, people still didn't know what an eclipse was. So right. back then, it's super advanced.
1: Right. Um, Thales died 30 years before the time of Pythagoras and 300 years before the time of Euclid, um, and was considered the first, you know, mathematician. So Pythagoras, obviously the, uh, Pythagorean theorem and, uh, triangles and all that stuff. Um, and Euclid was considered like the father of geometry pretty much, um, so, uh, ba, 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 ba. okay, when Thales was asked uh, what was difficult, he said to know oneself and, uh, and what was easy was to advise another. So, um, his most famous advice was know thyself. I think that's, yeah, it's engraved on the uh, front of the temple of Apollo at Delphi. Uh, but it's actually most, uh, famously attributed to, um, socrates who who used that kind of thinking a lot um uh thales was also uh the first to use deductive reasoning in relation to mathematics um which is kind of interesting um another thing that uh like just a little story about uh thales that a lot of people talk about is um he knew that uh that the olive season was coming and it was going to be bountiful. So he went around and bought all the olive presses and he made like a killing because of it. He cornered the market on that kind of stuff. That's what I'm
0: talking about. So
1: he was like the first real savvy businessman that you hear, you know, um, which is kind of encapsulates a lot of, you know, who he was. Another, um, another thought he had was he thought magnets were alive since obviously, you know, what's the explanation or they had souls, um, what's yeah, the explanation yeah. of you know when you, when you don't know much back then scientifically that two things would be you know attracted to each other like that would move without any sort of you know intervention you. yeah well, let's go to the next one so Thales was the first one kind of set the tone for everybody founded the uh, Milesian school in Miletus and let's go to the next one so this one I just threw in here um Solon he was important to the uh you know the story of Atlantis and Plato uh Mm -hmm. Plato getting all the information handed down to him I think it was six generations um so Solon was from like 630 to 560 BC uh he was an Athenian statesman so he wasn't really a philosopher um but uh, he was an important figure in ancient Greece uh he was a lawmaker he was a poet um he laid the foundation for the Athenian democracy. Um, according to Herodotus, Solon visited the pharaoh of Egypt, uh, Massus II. Uh, according to Plutarch, Solon discussed philosophy with two Egyptian priests, uh, Snephanus uh, or Cephophis, I don't, I don't even know how to pronounce that guy's name, uh, of Heliopolis and Sanches of Sais. Um, according to Plato's dialogue uh, in the uh, Timaeus and the Crataeus, Solon visited uh, Neath's temple at, at Sais uh, and received from the priest there uh, an account of the history of Atlantis. So again, this is just another example of ancient Greeks going to uh, ancient Egypt to get um, you know, knowledge and um, you know, learn there, study there.
0: So when he was getting this knowledge, when did they claim that Atlantis was? Like a thousand years well, before them. Well, I mean, it, years? no, it's
1: it's written it, it's written down 9600 uh, BC. So that's like way before. That's like thousands so and thousands. Be, so right. if this is five hundred, so that's nine thousand years before this.
0: Wow. So think okay. about that.
1: Like we're, you know, yeah, just, it's
0: totally possible because like all our buildings would turn to dust too. So so that would be know. like
1: yeah, that would be like somebody from seven thousand BC. We, ha- we are like us having knowledge of something from 7000 BC and keep on passing it down, kind of a thing. So, but that's mm-hmm. why a lot of people think that Atlantis is a myth or that, um, you know, Plato made it up or embellished it was a kind of a, like um, a learning thing. Yeah, yeah, just like a story or a parable to explain, you know, natural phenomenon right. or what could happen to a society, you know, on the downfall. Um, but. At the same time, there's a lot of correlating factors, like we've talked the about younger people, the Younger Dryas Impact event. Um, that's actually the exact date of what they've dated uh, Gobekli Tepe to. Um so there's a lot of correlating factors there which are kinda unique, but um you know, stuff. obviously Gobekli Tepe being in uh Turkey as well. Um so yeah, so, but uh he yeah, he was the ancestor six generations removed from Plato, uh, like I mentioned, he was known for his political and economical uh, reform. Um, so yeah, he was more of a statesman politician, but I just wanted to throw him in there cause I, you know, like I said, I thought he's important, and uh, he's not going to fit in with the other um, the other episodes we do on ancient Greece, so I just thought I'd throw him in there.
0: Are these episodes like a timeline progression? No, so we'll
1: good? go, uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit, but yeah. Okay, I mean, they're it, based
0: more on ideas and the collection of Yeah, so that, we're just going to categorize
1: okay. different, you know, maybe, you know, different, uh, like I said, we'll go through the pre-Socratics, and then we'll get to Socrates, uh, Plato, okay. and Aristotle, which are people th- lump those three together. Uh, and then we'll get to the Sophists, who were the people that had knowledge, and um basically they were like the philosophers or the smart people that did stuff for money, you know, like they were getting paid by Kings and rich people to teach their children. And they were more of like the practical side of it, you know, cause even gotcha. today philosophy is not really considered that practical on like a day-to-day basis. Right. So mm-hmm.
0: very, very looked down upon. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just,
1: <laughs> it's just not an empirical science. So people aren't gonna, you know, give it too much. You know, I think it's important. I mean, when you start talking like metaphysics and stuff like that, which we're gonna start talking about here, because a lot of these guys, that's what they were doing, was talking about metaphysics and origins and what could be the answer of everything. I think it's important that we had these guys because they're the ones that kind of pushed us uh, to where we are, and these were basically the first Western scientists that uh, started the tradition. So, uh, so here we have. This is one of uh, Thales' students, Anaximander. Uh, from 610 to 646 BC, uh, pre-Socratic philosopher, uh, lived in the Ionian city of Miletus, the Milesian school, uh, was part of the Milesian school and studied under his teacher uh, and master Thales. Um, after Thales became the second master... Uh, he, oh, after Thales, uh, Anaximander became the second master of the Milesian school. Uh, he taught Anaximenes... Uh, and probably Pythagoras, they're not quite sure. That's what another thing I wanted to point out is a lot of this information, I cross referenced a lot of stuff, and you kind of get a different you know, right, uh, explanations. Right, and accounts, I, yeah. and I've read some books and went through some of the great course lectures and stuff like that too. So there's a lot of different takes on a lot of this different stuff. I just tried to find the most consistent yeah, do your stuff.
0: Best and the, when people crucify us on Reddit, well, no, we'll, it's, you know. it's,
1: it's not even crucify. I don't even give <laughs> sh- I don't even care about that. That's not even in, in the, the point, you know, I could right, right. care. What, but the, the, the main point I'm trying to make is, is that none of this stuff is flawless and mm-hmm. we're all basing the stuff on, you know, historians like Herodotus and stuff like that, but we're also basing it on their written works. Do they have anything written, you know, before Plato, there really wasn't that much stuff written down. So, right. um, A lot
0: of the stuff, you know, is it, is it word for word? Is it verbatim or is it? No, I mean, you still have have to translate it. Metaphorically and stuff like that. I'm saying like that.
1: Yeah. You still have to trans, even though when it's translated, it's still, you still have to make sense of it, which, you know, is another Ah. issue altogether. But, um, so he taught, uh, yeah. So he was the first philosopher to write down his studies. So, uh, you know, like I just said, a lot of these guys didn't write stuff down. We'll get Socrates was known for not writing anything down. So, you know, there's certain people, uh, philosophers that did, did write stuff down. There's certain ones that didn't write stuff down. Um, only one of his works survived, but his testimonies from other historical works, uh, provide a picture of who he was. Um, he was a material monist as well. He believed that the Aperon, uh, which, you know, he believed that, uh, the source of all things, uh, was this limit limitless or infinite, um, uh, thing called the Aperon, which, you know, they also talk about I the, like that. the RK, which is the first philosophy, uh, first philosophical term, which means origin of, or, or beginning. So, um, you know, I think um you know when you look at it like that when they start talking about metaphysics and stuff like that um you're getting to the point where it's like okay these guys are thinking outside the box you know I'm right, I'm sure right. people before these guys started to think about these things you know I don't know how long before but I'm sure they were thought about before probably ancient Egypt maybe ancient Sumerians you know but at the same time these guys started to write it down. These guys started to cultivate, like, a culture around this kind of stuff and uh, pass it down through um, not just word of mouth, but, you know, writing it down and passing it along kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Um, let's see here. He was the first to theorize uh, that, the, um, that the Earth floats still in the infinite, uh, not supported by anything. So, you know, and that's another point I want to make is these guys – most of them weren't right okay like most of what we know now kind of contradicts what a lot of these guys thought but you have to think from their perspective way back then like they didn't have the access that we have they're not sending rockets into space they're not right sending man to the moon so like this is just their version of what they think's going on out there so um you know when, when this guy says you know and an thinks that the earth floats still in the infinite, well, that's not true. We know we're constantly moving, getting shot out of you know we're on a on a course you know uh, orbiting around the sun and, and and flying through space at uh pretty high speeds uh-huh. um he referenced uh he was referenced by some as the father of cosmology um His theories of the universe were trending towards demystifying natural phenomenon and processes. So similar to Thales, like I said, these first, you know, pre-Socratics were looking for ways to um, give a natural explanation for, you know, natural phenomena. Like I said, I mean, back then there's a lightning storm. Oh, Zeus is mad. He's, you know, throwing lightning bolts or... It's you know the the ship gets broken up in the ocean. Oh, Poseidon was Poseidon's dead. upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, these were the first guys to kind of go against that and understand that there's probably a, a more reasonable and rational explanation for that. Uh, uh-huh. He was uh, an x Was the first to speculate on the plurality of worlds. So you know that's an interesting concept. You know to to think that there's other you know, worlds or universes or whatever out there, which I mean is even relevant to this day We're we're, you know, you got a lot of quantum physicists, physicists, and cosmologists trying to prove, you know, the many worlds theory, which is pretty popular these days. So, um, yeah, some of these yeah, themes nice. are, we'll get and we'll get through them, but some of these themes are, uh, relative to today, just different like detail, you know, like some of the details are wrong or some of the basic, you know, um, Points were, are, were a little off, but you oh, know, so. yeah. I mean, but just the idea that they were thinking about this kind of stuff, I think, is amazing. Um, uh, so, he, yeah, like I said, he attributed uh, thunder and lightning and natural processes to you know, a natural cause as opposed to some divine cause. He was the first person to publish a map of the world, um, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I'd like
0: to see that thing.
1: It's not. I looked at it. I found one online. I didn't put it on here, but it's not that it's one great. long. It's not that great. The,
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet it wasn't. Uh,
1: here's something he wrote: uh, Whence things have their origin, uh, thence also their destruction happens, according to necessity, uh, for they give to each other justice recompense for their injustice in uh, conformity with the ordinance of time so yeah like i was saying before when you translate a lot of the stuff you still have to then translate it again because it's like um you know makes sense that people don't talk like that anymore so
0: what kind of sounds like he's just saying life is death they're the same thing well yeah but but my but my point is right uh, yeah
1: you were saying earlier, do people, you know, with the translation thing, it's like you translate it once from Greek to English, and then you then have to translate it or interpret it from there. So. Uh-huh. All right, so this is um, Anaximenes. Um, he was Anaximander's student. He was from 586 to 526 B.C., pre-Socratic philosopher, um and by the way people are if you i'm sure you know if you're watching this but if you don't know pre-socratic just means pre-socrates like they were whole that's what they consider all the philosophers in the uh, western tradition of greece uh before socrates and then there's the era of socrates uh plato aristotle and then like i said you've got the sophist or sophist you know which is a whole different uh animal but uh So, none of his works were preserved. Um, Everything we know about his philosophies and theories is because of the references made by Aristotle and other Greek philosophers. Um, He was one of the three Milesian philosophers. So, again, this was like the last, you know, great Milesian philosopher. Also, um, uh, yeah, uh, Miletus was conquered by the Persian army in 494 B.C., um, so it looks like the uh the persians took back that that part of the uh region that was taken over during the uh the dorian invasion um so like thales and his teacher Anaximander uh, before him he was a material monist his theory was that air uh, mist vapor you know made up of all things so his his Theory was that air, you know, or some version. Unlike water, of, air. Yeah, unlike water or the aperion, uh, aperion, uh it was air. So, um, you know, he believed it was infinite and divine. So, you know, if if you think about it, you know, Thales and uh, Anaximenes were not that far off in the sense that we we both actually need air and we need water to survive right right? so yeah yeah those are two of the main things that we need now i mean again they're they're wrong in the sense of what we know now but back then i mean that's
0: well what do we know now you know
1: well we yeah i mean
0: water could be god who knows maybe maybe not (laughs) probably not
1: (laughs) um his greatest contribution to scientific thought was the idea that substance could change forms. So like changing forms, like I said, so his idea of monism, you know, air turning into mist and vapor and just the, you know, the change of the forms, whether it be like, you know, a gas into a solid, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that's pretty important. Um, and that's one of the cornerstones of basic science as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, also, he believed that the universe was in constant motion. Um, so, you know, that's actually true, right? You know, everything's yeah. always there's nothing stationary that we know of, and the universe keeps expanding. Everything keeps spreading out. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good stab right there. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: seems like all these guys got a little tad of truth in there, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, considering what they had access to and, you know, all that. Also, um, you know, like I said, a lot of these guys studied in ancient Greece, or, or either they did or their teachers did, and had a decent background on the way things work and stuff like that. So, um his greatest guy, da, 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 da. oh he believed that the universe yeah. was in incont- yeah we just went over that um he thought that matter changed through condensation and refraction so that's an interesting one so that um that's not right obviously but from a perception standpoint i guess you could see where maybe he was going with that that uh matter changes form when it, when different you know or changes state through different processes, whether it be uh, condensation and rarefaction, that kind of stuff. So Uh um, this is a little something from him. Uh, Just as our soul, being air, holds us together, so pneuma and air uh, encompass and guard the whole world. So that's a little tidbit there. So, yeah, he was the last of the the Milesians oh no 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 we're not we we got a few we got some more here for the pre-socratics he was just the last of the milesian school because like i said they got uh conquered by the persian army in 494 bc
0: these guys have sweet names i wonder when their names <laughs> are going to come back you know how yeah. all the names like recycle
1: i don't think anybody's gonna be using <laughs> these names
0: a maximander
1: an yeah uh, like all right that that's
0: like a superhero name
1: this one's pretty cool, Xenophanes. Um, yeah. So he was from five seventy to five or four seventy five BC. Uh, he was a Greek philosopher, theologian, poet, and critic. Um, he left Ionia at the age of twenty five and traveled the world for sixty seven years. So this dude. Now, was... now
0: what are what are a theologian? There's a Wilco song about that.
1: It's just somebody that studies like. Um, faith and religion
0: okay a deeply rooted individual and in no i mean religion. it's just it's
1: literally like a theologian is like somebody that studies religion like seriously like uh, like academically all right so like not a priest i mean i guess a priest could be a theologian but more like somebody that's teaching religion in school or college okay. or somebody that studies religion seriously and understands you know could have debates about it dialects about it that kind of stuff
0: all right all um
1: right. uh let's see he left ionia at the age of 25 yeah so he traveled the world for 67 years um that's pretty interesting beautiful um and back then you know that probably that's was the luxury. way to go i mean if you're trying to gain knowledge and uh you know see the world i mean why not back
0: then it's a good way to live today
1: Plus, if you stayed stationary long enough back then, there's a good chance you were either getting con- conquered, going to war, <laughs> doing something. So yeah, keep, uh,
0: keep moving away, man.
1: Um, it will he, never find you. He used satire to critique the polyistic views of contemporaries like Homer and Hesiod.
0: Hell yes. uh,
1: they believe that they were projecting an, an- anthropomorph- uh, anthropomorphizing god. So, like we mentioned before, this dude was, you know, satiring and 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 coming up with ways to to basically mock um you know Homer and Hesiod were two of like the the mythological writers of ancient Greece you know obviously Mm -hmm. Homer uh the Odyssey Odyssey and all that stuff so um but yeah he you know this guy was obviously uh a smart dude and you know satire I mean I wonder if it was comical or if it was serious you know
0: the beginning of national lampoons over there (laughs) um
1: so he wrote about wet and dry, uh, water and earth. Uh, he theorized that, um, or I'm sorry, he, he theorized about wet and dry, or water and earth, and he theorized that these two states would alternate, uh, pushing human life into extinction and then it would re- uh, uh, regenerate and vice versa, depending on the uh, dominant form. So this would suggest that he believed uh, in causation, uh, which was a major contribution to the evolution of uh, scientific thinking. Um, I think a lot of these, each one of these guys, had something to contribute to what we would consider modern-day science, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether it be changing of forms, causation, you know, we'll get to Democritus and, like, the atom and all that stuff. So a lot of these guys had different... Um, things to contribute that we still kind of use to this day you know like I said most of what they thought wasn't correct or true but uh, you got to start somewhere and look thousands of years from now people are going to be thinking what were these monkeys oh, you know, about I gonna us? they're going to be thinking you
0: know, that's we're, all that matters really well, we're going to be considered to idiots that. a couple thousand
1: years from now you know assuming See, exactly. that the earth survives or we get off this planet or whatever the case may be so um through examining fossils, he believed uh, that the Earth must have been completely covered by water at some point, you know, so... um it's on to something,
0: that's for sure. Well,
1: if and if you look at even a lot, some of the megalithic structures, you know, the limestone, sandstone, right. there's, there's different encapsulated crustaceans and different things. So that's, I mean, the Earth was covered, you know, with water. And it was basically water world and not with... Uh, What's his A face? better version. Yeah. Who's Kevin that? Costner. Yeah, who's the bad who's the bad guy? Dennis Hopper.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably that's a uh, Horrible film.
1: Um ba 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 ba. So yeah, so that's in you know, like I said some of these guys got some of the things right, you know. Um through examining the, uh, we already talked about that. He believed that there is an infinite number of worlds not overlapping in time. So that's kind of an interesting concept. So um, there's a
0: bunch of worlds that are running simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yep. That's I'm telling you, man. Half these half these theories are coming back. What's the multiverse and stuff? It's no, I, I, I'm
1: sorry, I said not overlapping in time.
0: Oh, okay.
1: My bad. Um, That's
0: weird. That's like a, almost a Rudolf Steiner esque idea.
1: Maybe. I mean, you mean like the eras, like how he went through.
0: Well, I was talking about like when you die from this, then you go to a different world. Oh, right, right, I don't right. right know if it's right. a
1: world or whatever it might be. Right. Dimension, whatever you want to yeah. say. Yeah.
0: But again, like I said, I, people are so quick to poo poo when we don't really even know ourselves, so. I don't know. At least these yeah. guys were thinking outside the box. That's what, in today's society. It seems like everybody's going along that one streamlined. Let's right. keep cracking open this atom. We're gonna find out the tid. All the little tidbits are gonna tell us the secret.
1: Right. Uh, he was one of the first philosophers to distinguish between true belief and knowledge. So you know, um, that's important too. You know, and and we'll get to socrates and like what do we truly know and that kind of stuff and you know in another episode but it's important to point out that you know these guys were all coming up with these different um ways to think about things reason and logic and and um you know what's the difference between belief and actual knowledge and those kinds of things so Mm -hmm. um uh, his epistemology, uh, which is still relevant to this day, states that there is uh, a truth of reality, uh, but it is unknowable to mortal humans. So um, that's something I think about a lot, actually, to this day, too. It's like, you know, obviously we do this podcast and I research a lot. I read a lot of books. Um, I'm kind of... Um, i'm kind yeah, of. yeah we're never gonna know yeah i mean i'm that's what i but at the same time it's like i'm still gonna try that's my philosophy on it it's like i still want to know as much as i can right no, but no it's matter a, what it gets To the
0: point where you, you could get you could make yourself sick if you you keep trying and trying and trying and right if you accept it you might be able to live a more peaceful life
1: for sure know? for sure like
0: emerson you kind of just like i don't really care if if there you know if all that happened all that really matters is what's going on now and right kind of that kind of deal but again we have a podcast we want to seek out the truth so we're gonna crack that nut (laughs) so
1: but uh yeah so like i said i mean that's just something we think about and um um yeah i mean
0: maybe we never will know but you know it's good to keep pushing yourself and bettering yourself so
1: yeah, it's it's. I don't know, man. It's it's just that's one of the the deep thoughts too, too. It, or you know, even like a conscious. If you bring a consciousness into it, it's like, are we ever gonna know what consciousness is, or is it the, in the same boat as that? Is that we're never gonna know because we're experiencing it and we can't get outside of it to study it like we would? You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, for even
1: sure. if even if it is some byproduct of brain function or wave function or whatever. It's not, it's still in that same category to me. But, uh, and, uh, to people that don't know what epistemology is, I'll just point out, it's the theory of knowledge, you know, um, you know, basically, you know, methods, validity, scope, those kinds of things, um, you know, distinguishes like just justified belief from opinion, um and you know we'll talk about ontology too which is the study of being or the study of self um so let's go to the next one this is one of the
0: uh the big the, boys the
1: big boys um so pythagoras uh, pythagoras i'm sorry um it was from I five wrote a
0: song about his theorem in high school <laughs> did you yeah. Got that extra credit. Yeah, it was to the fire on the mountain. You remember that? <laughs> your, your stepbrother did it.
1: Good old mixing of uh, math and Grateful Dead.
0: <laughs> You'll never forget the, the theorem, except I did.
1: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he was around from 570 to 495 BC. Uh, He's believed to be an Ionian Greek uh, pre Socratic philosopher. Uh, he was the founder of, the, uh, of Pyth- Pythagoreanism. So he he created um a cult and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh his philosophies included Plato, Aristotle, um or I'm sorry, his his philosophies influenced Plato, Aristotle and uh, a lot of western philosophy, mathematics, that kind of stuff. Uh his political and religious ideas were influential. Um he obviously um he had a good grasp on how to kind of you know, influence people while he was alive, too, not just after he had passed and his writing and work survived. Um, and, and we're going to talk about that now. But so he created a, uh, an ascetic commune in uh, Croton, which is basically modern-day Calabria in Italy. That's actually where my family's from in Italy, oddly enough. Um, Beautiful. Uh, where initiates were sworn to secrecy. Um, so... You know the thing is uh, about the the commune too is you know you, you I think they were all vegetarians um, and you know there was a lot of mathematics, um, a lot of metaphysics, a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Um,
0: Sounds like an old Silicon Valley. Or something.
1: <laughs> he uh, taught uh, metapsychosis, which is the transmigrations of uh, or the transmigration of the soul. That upon death, the soul enters a new body um the soul is immortal and re- he reincarnates after death um he uh yeah so i mean but that the the commune thing's interesting so he, i think he had a lot of people too he convinced a lot of people to come live there and study and and um and do that whole thing but uh he created the pythagorean theorem um the five regular solids uh and the theory of proportions um, he also studied in Egypt and was fascinated with the Egyptian god Thoth Hermes um, and studied with the Egyptian priests in Thebes. So I'm fascinated with Thoth uh, the Egyptian god because he was known as the scribe god um, mm-hmm. and and I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Everything we know pretty much like why we're so advanced is pretty much because of language is the ability to, Exp- exp- we'll explain something through words or writing. So back then, the Egyptians had hieroglyphs, and Thoth, being the scribe god, I think was important in the sense that um, without language and without uh, writing we wouldn't be where we are today. And you could even go as far as to say that is magic. I mean, saying something out loud and then doing it or telling somebody, somebody, something in a language, having them understand what you're saying and then have that affect them is basically magic. You know? Um,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, just think about those big speeches when, when you got a good uh, speaker up there. Or, we that's can get we can take it, a, up. We can take it a,
1: a bit further even laws like think about what laws are laws are written down you abide by the law if you don't abide by the law you go to jail i mean that's pretty much magic you're this is this concept that somebody created using language that you are abiding by that you know it's just it's yeah, just an it's interesting weird. concept so i think in my um lately studies i've been thinking a lot about how i think language and writing has a lot to do with where we are and why we're here and that kind of a thing so uh he learned to speak Egyptian from Pharaoh uh Massus the himself. Um he made the connection between mathematics and music. So um
0: He That's important.
1: Yeah, I mean I think um I don't know if it was him, but uh it was either him or another pre-Socratic. I can't remember. That was he was walking by, and I'm. It's. I don't know if it's him. We might. It might even be in the slideshow later on. But um, one of the pre-Socratics was walking by a blacksmith, and he was hitting the iron, and you could hear like an octave difference in the way that it was hitting the uh, the metal, and uh, came up with the idea that like you know math had a lot to do with the frequency of the uh, of music and tones and that kind of stuff so yeah yeah uh, he may have came up with the uh, the idea of the harmony of spheres which is the idea that planets move according to mathematical equations causing a uh, resonant uh, resonant vibration that is uh, inaudible symphony basically that's tied to math religion and harmonic resonance so it's this idea that um, we or that the universe is basically like the symphony that's inaudible to us, but that kind of resonates at a certain frequency.
0: That's pretty profound.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then there, that little picture down there, that's uh, one of his creations.
0: Uh, well, we know he loved triangles. so.
1: Yeah, a tetractus, I believe is how you pronounce that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's Pythagoras. I think, you know, obviously he's one of the more important ones. And yeah, uh,
0: huge impact on math, still right. taught today. So, this guy was uh, not only did he have some out there theories, he also had some theories that have uh, sustained time. So, right over to you, Michael. <laughs>
1: uh, here we go. This is Heraclitus, um, 535 to 475 BC, pre Socratic philosopher. Um, uh, from the Ephesus, uh, or from Ephesus, which was located on the Ionian coast, which was a little bit, um, north of Miletus. Uh, when I pulled up the map initially, uh, he was self-taught said to have led a lonely life. Um, he was known for, uh, as the weeping philosopher and the obscure. Uh, he was said to have gained his knowledge from questioning himself. So that's pretty interesting. Um, his main focuses were metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics, and cosmology. Um, he was considered one of the founders of ontology, like I mentioned before. We mentioned epistemology. What's, ontology is the study of being. So you know,
0: oh, it's pretty it's who, a very specific. Who am concept. I? Why am I here?
1: You know, it's basically <laughs> yeah. what what is being. Um,
0: that's, that's intense.
1: He coined the term logos, uh, which means a principle of order and knowledge, and uh, it was used in different ways by the sophists and other ancient Greeks. So it was kind of a word that was thrown around with different meanings at, at different times. Uh, he developed the philosophical concept of becoming, which is the possibility of change in a thing that has a being. Um, which you know, if you know if you're aware of your being that you can then change, you know? So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Uh, he was a material monist that believed that fire was the RK. So, um, you know, f- that one, you know, fire is important. Um, we need it, but it's I wouldn't say it's as important as air or water or something like that. Oh, but
0: it might have been in some of the theories. But if you think cooked meat, our brains develop faster, so it might have been a Well, that could be it.
1: Or if you're talking about, like, Big Bang, like heat obviously has a lot to do with, you know, stars and the universe and the way that things form and stuff like that. So I guess you could look at it like that. Um, He believed the essence of the universe is uh, ever-present change. So another guy that thought that everything was always changing – um, he is most famous for saying no man can ever step in the same river twice. So... Oh, well, clearly he's never been on Hogar. <laughs> so, but the idea that... No, when, I get, I well, no, it's it. the idea that when you step in the river, okay, and you let's say you pull your foot out, and then you put it in again, the properties of that river have already exactly. changed. So yes. some people would argue that it's the same river since the river of its entirety is just one one thing one essence you know but um, you know it's kind of something to think about for sure uh, he's probably most famous for and this is a little story about how he died he died from dropsy or edema but the way he tried to cure himself or treat it was by burying himself in cow manure um, and he oh, died yeah. he died baking in the sun in this cow shit basically
0: <laughs> now that's brutal
1: um, and there's there's different theories on the way he did it, but just whether he dug a hole and buried himself in it or just rolled around and whatever the case may be, that's, that's a terrible way to die.
0: Yeah. All Amen. right.
1: Moving on. So this is one of my favorite dudes. Um, Parmenides. Um, he was born roughly 515 BC, uh, according to, uh, Plato's Parmenides dialogue. Um, his birth and death dates are actually kind of uncertain. Uh, he was a pre-Socratic philosopher from Elea, like I mentioned in the very uh, the the slide that I did in the beginning with the map. Elia is on the um, west coast of Italy, and um, he was the founder of the Eleatic school of philosophy. He was a student of Zeno uh, and uh, he was a uh, teacher of Zeno Zeno is we'll get to him in a second. If you've ever heard of Zeno's paradoxes, which are these paradoxes that, um, you know, they're just basically like mind experiments that have no real answer kind of a thing. So, um, his single surviving work is a poem called on nature. um, his main focuses were metaphysics and ontology which is the study of being um his most famous thoughts were uh or his most famous thoughts yeah were thought and being are the same nothing comes from nothing and uh the void which is another thing he was known for um so you know when you look at that uh kind of an interesting concept um
0: you yeah, know. I'm down with
1: this guy. And if anybody that watched our episode on like non duality um in quantum physics, I talk a little bit about him, but just the idea that uh you know, there all there is is just this thing. There's nothing else but this. You know, it's all the same thing. It's just there's like this illusion of you know of of difference or separation
0: enter the void um he argued
1: the perception of everyday life and reality of the physical world is wrong and that reality was actually one being like i just mentioned so that's the most important i think thing i think about this and this is something i think about a lot too when we talk a lot about consciousness and different stuff um how you know like how do we know that what we're perceiving is actually what's there you know what i'm saying like our eyes are just taking on photons. We're relying right. on touch and sound and all this. These are just things that we've evolved. When you
0: lose your senses, what's there?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, you'd only be able to ask, well, like Helen Keller, maybe a few other people. But, uh, yeah. you know, in, in that regard, it's like... Can we truly trust our senses, or is this world something completely different than we ever imagined? This is just the way we perceive it, you know. Like, are we producing this reality with our minds, kind of a thing? So, that's definitely. Yeah, it's
0: strange. I, uh, I don't I definitely don't have the answer for you.
1: I I knew you weren't gonna know, but <laughs> uh, uh, I will
0: next week. So, ladies and gentlemen, tune
1: in. No, but so. But that's my. Uh, this is one of my favorite dudes. I just like the way that he. You know, I should have put more in here, but whatever. Well, the uh,
0: nothing comes from nothing. It was right up your alley, so I can see the.
1: Right. Why you like him? Lawrence Krauss would really hate this guy.
0: Well, what's That's you don't talk about the unspoken one. <laughs>
1: All right, so this was his student that I mentioned before, Zeno, famous for Zeno's Paradox. Um, 490 to 430 BC, uh, Zeno of Elia, he was a great Greek uh, pre-Socratic philosopher, uh, most famous for creating the nine paradoxes. Um, he base, uh, or based on Plato that Zeno created the paradoxes to protect the work of Parmenides, so they're saying that Zeno, when he created these paradoxes, um, you know, in, and we'll talk about this when we talk about like Plato and stuff. Yeah, my mind's but, about to get blown here. But, but no, but Pl- uh, Plato's Parmenides, which is a dialogue, um, you know, kind of talks about how Parmenides is wrong and this is why he's wrong kind of a thing. But, the, but they're saying that Zeno created the paradox to protect the work of Parmenides that it was still important, even though some of the aspects of it may have been wrong or proved wrong later by other philosophers. Um, he was a member of the Eleatic school founded by Parmenides. Uh, Aristotle credited him with being the inventor of dialectic, which you know is a very important thing. Uh, he is um, he's mentioned in Plato's Parmenides and Aristotle's Physics. Um, there's a story about a tyrant. You know that he later in his life bit the ear off of a king or a tyrant, uh, or he like whisk- went to whisper something in his ear and bit off his ear. But there's different versions of the story, so I didn't. Oh, put Mike the whole thing Tyson. In there. <laughs> yeah, he was the first Mike Tyson. <laughs> um, uh, the three most famous paradoxes are Achilles and the tortoise, um, which is if you give the tortoise uh, a head start, that you'll never be able to catch up to the tortoise. Even if you're fast, kind of a thing. These are like
0: math problems. Or something.
1: Yeah, they're they're basically math problems. Uh, the dichotomy paradox, the arrow paradox. Um, so like w- one of them is, you know,
0: I've done a couple. I think this one blew my mind apart. I was trying to do the so It's addition like, and subtraction thing.
1: But one of them is is so if somebody's walking down a path and, um they walk half there's like an end goal okay there's like an end distance they walk to, they get to halfway there okay and then they go from halfway there to halfway there again and you keep going down to 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 it gets ha, go, keeps going halfway it can go on for infinity unless it's going somewhere which which is the the uh where it gets debunked is that now we know that that's not the case you can't keep going half and half and half and half because you would eventually get to that that point but Um, he was possibly the first philosopher to dabble in mathematical infinity, which I think is pretty important considering there's a good possibility that uh, infinity for sure exists. So let's move on to the next one. This is the last guy we're going to talk about today. Uh, probably one of the most important in terms of modern-day scientific inquiry and contributions. Uh, Democritus. Uh, he lived from 460 to 370 BC. Ancient Greek pre-Socratic philosopher. Uh, his name means chosen of the people. Uh, he's most famous for coming up with the concept of, the, of atoms and the atomic theory. Uh, the term atom comes from the Greek word uh, atomos. Uh, which means indivisible. Uh, the term was not used again until scientists and chemists started using it in the early 19th century. So think about that. This guy came up with this idea and this theory a long time ago, BC, and then it wasn't used again until 2,000 years later. Till they're like, oh, this guy was onto something. So that's pretty yeah. interesting. So, uh, so this
0: guy lived to be 90. Is that my math correct on that, or
1: what? No, he
0: was 90 years old. I'm-
1: no, that's not the way BC works, bro. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just joking.
0: Okay. I mean, how old was he then? <laughs> I was just curious if there was like, did these guys live long? Was the age, you know, like around 40s or what was the age expectancy? Uh,
1: yeah. You were I at the first... It doesn't really matter. <laughs> first
0: time. Yeah, but that's a long life for... For back then I would. Yeah, think. but that Don't that's
1: you? I mean, you look into a lot of these, even ancient Egyptian there was an ancient Egyptian pharaoh, I forget his name, Pepe. Pepe the II, second, Pepe the Third, I forget, but he lived to be like ninety nine. So it's not yeah. a, it's not impossible to live a long time back then. If you live if you were a smart person that had a lot to offer, you had I'm sure food and like you weren't suffering, you know, so as long as yeah, yeah nothing hit you like cancer or whatever back then. I'm sure you could live a good life. And back then, I mean, they ate whole foods. They weren't eating processed garbage and olive oil's pretty good for you. You know? So, yeah,
0: there was Same. just a lot more people living in squander. That's why the death average was way. Well, there's down, a lot of disease like, you know? and there's no antibiotics exactly, and stuff yeah.
1: like that. So, but I mean, they probably had their own ancient, you know, herbs and medicines Secrets. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a debate if, the idea was originally Democritus's or his teacher Leucippus. So, um, this is where it gets dicey. So, Aristotle credited Leucippus with inventing atomism, uh, atomism, uh, but Epicurus was influenced by democracy and, uh, Democritus and based his testimony that Leucippus never existed. So, there's a debate whether his teacher Lucippus was a real person or not and whether he actually came up with the theory first or maybe laid the groundwork for it so that's kind of debated I've heard different takes on that from different people and stuff so I mean seems
0: like an enormous waste of time arguing over that but
1: right well I mean and then so even to this day um, we talk about Adams Adams is a huge foundation of you know science but you could even say that he's wrong. I think the story goes he was in like a dusty room and he saw particles flying through like a, a shaft of or a beam of sunlight and yeah,
0: beautiful uh, cinematography.
1: And he saw that these tiny little particles. So he theorized that everything was made up of these tiny little particles, but obviously those ones weren't atoms. Cause you could see them. Right. And you can't see atoms. But then, so today though we coined the term atom, which we've given to a specific molecule, right? Or it's just, you know
0: part sp- of a molecule right yeah.
1: so but my point is that that still might not be what a real ad- like he might have h- had the idea that there's something even more fundamental than that even tinier than that that is you know you could go on for infinity maybe it keeps going on forever you know what i'm saying who knows but um so there's the void hypothesis which he believed contrary to parmenides and zeno's motion paradox that a void must exist. So Parmenides and Zeno believe that a void cannot exist, since everything is, uh, since nothing is still something. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. I mean, we've talked about this before. the The idea of nothing is still something. You can't argue that it's not because it's still an idea. You know. But in yeah. concept, nothing. We know what people are saying when they say nothing, but in reality, it's still something. So it's kind of a a mind bender there. Um, yeah, he believed that knowledge of truth is difficult since perception through the senses is subjective, which is again another kind of idea that Parmedes was talking about. That how can we truly know you know what's true and what's not when our senses are subjective somewhat? You know, your idea of what you know, you're looking at maybe a little bit different than what I'm looking at, even though there is the subjective oh, it is. thing, you know, their perception of it might be different. So, um, but yeah, so this is, there's a couple other ones that we didn't get to. That These were the most important ones that I thought uh, encapsulated the pre-Socratics and the ideas and the foundation for, you know, where we are today, science-wise and all that stuff. So, like Very I said, it in the next episode, we'll get to Socrates, uh, you know, Plato, and Aristotle, and we'll just focus on those three, and then we'll get to the Sophists, the famous Sophists, on another one, and then um, we'll hit some of the, actually, I want to do one on the Eleusinian mysteries too, I think that'll be interesting, um, and uh, we'll touch on, you know, it'll be this whole little Greek thing, and then we'll do the same thing probably with like ancient Egypt and ancient Rome and go through some of the ancient uh, civilizations and stuff, but
0: uh, beautiful trot around the world. And- yeah. I just, you know, I,
1: th- I thought uh, I have been reading a lot about this stuff lately, you know, like in terms of, um, you know, these pre-Socratics and uh, also I'm very interested in the mind, how the mind works, how we've gotten to where we are, um, you know, what were the early thoughts like that kind of stuff. So I think if to know where we're going or have an idea where we're going, uh, you got to know where we came from and, and who got us there. You know, it's like learning how to play music and not knowing who the Beatles were or something like that, you know? So,
0: yeah, yeah. It's uh, also good to seep our audience and some, uh, concrete knowledge if, even if it's just the history of some of these places instead of all the heady stuff that we with a lot of our uh, guests. So it's, right. a good, uh, it's a good change of things, definitely.
1: Right, right, right. right. So, but uh, good stuff, good stuff. And uh, we'll uh, continue this on here. We're going to do another episode with Matt Tiller here in a little bit. Um, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice. We have a few things up there that are exclusive content for $2 a month. You will get access to uh, there's all the links to our uh, pages. Check us out. And
0: um, that's it. Thanks, guys. See ya. Peace. Cheers.